0: I don't know about you, but I have heard so many times, innumerable amount of times, the number of ways in which 2020 was bad, in which 2020 was rotten and horrible and awful and it's been terrible and, and woe to us. And thank goodness that the moment that date changes, everything will be different. Sounds, uh, sounds kind of silly on the surface, right? I mean, think about it. Not everyone had a horrible 2020, okay? If you were in toilet paper sales this year, phenomenal. Your bonus was great. If you were in the hand sanitizer industry, wow. I only wish I had invested in mask companies prior to March. I mean, all of these people, I mean, not everyone had a horrible 2020. And those people will, think, will, will talk to their children and their children's children about the, the wonderful, beautiful, amazing year that 2020 was for them. Sometimes, whether things are good or bad depends upon your perspective. And it depends on whether you're dealing out of a perspective of faith or fear. And and that's not just true in the broad sense with pandemics and viruses. We get to choose every single day whether or not we're going to walk by faith or cower in fear. 2020 has just exacerbated that, but that was always true. That was true in 2019, and it'll be true in 2021. If you have your Bibles, open to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start there. Because as we talk about faith and fear, we want to be very clear about what we're talking about. The biblical faith is a lot deeper than just hopeful, optimistic thinking. And then we're going to go back to a, an oldie but a goodie, a wonderful Old Testament story that has some lessons for us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the faith chapter, okay? Long-time church people who have heard many sermons and classes know what Hebrews 11 is about. The writer there says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. And it wasn't because of what they did. It wasn't because of these amazing stories. It was because of their faith. By faith... We understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I think, in, in my mind, I can imagine how creation happened, but I wasn't there. I just simply have to trust, by faith, that an invisible God made a visible world out of things that did not exist and made them by His very Word. And then the writer of Hebrews begins to make the list, right? The, the, the list of the, the great stalwarts and the heroes of faith. The people that have been l- stuff of legend for uh, children's training hour, for VBS, uh, for our own classes as we think about these men and women and what they did. But, but again, I want to call us back because the, 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 the power of their stories is not about what they did. It was about what God did. And their faith in him through that. And so the writer makes this list of heroes. If you want to think about the heroes of faith and kind of walk down this hallway and, and to the right and to the left of you are pictures of people, Abel and Abraham and Moses and, and, and these men, Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and, and, and people who didn't, couldn't see the future, but trusted in a God who was already there. And, and we go from Abraham to, to Moses and, and uh, uh, the, the Egyptians as they cross, uh, the, <laughs> the Israelites as they cross the Red Sea. And then he kind of throws in these, you, know, you can just tell that he's like, there's too many people, there's too many stories of faith. And he doesn't have time to get to them all. And what more shall I say, verse 32, for for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Those who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire. And he goes on, but but I want you to think as you come to an all-too-familiar text, and the problem with all-too-familiar texts is that we sort of gloss over them. Oh, yes, oh, yes, I know that. Okay, so to prevent that from happening, this morning what I ask you to do is go old school with me, okay? And I'm going to have a PowerPoint for this one. I just want you to open the book. And if you're watching at home, I hope you're opening the book or scrolling the book, but turn to the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is a a very interesting book because it, it tells the story of a people who were not at home, a people who had been taken off into a distant country, and who were living in a place that they were unfamiliar with, a, a place that was different in culture, in language, in people, and the, the 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 laws and the rules and the culture that they had been accustomed to were no longer. These were strangers in a strange land. and And the first six chapters of this book is a historical narrative. So... To, get to, to kind of set up the, what, the story we're going into, let me run through where we are now. Now, we were about 600 years, give or take, before Jesus would come on the scene. Six centuries, long before uh, Jesus would f- come and the incarnate word would fulfill the promises of the ages. But in this story, we see many lessons that point to him that whom, of whom the Bible is all about. In the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and they brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So instantly we have complete upset in their world. I mean, just think about it. If you had grown up in Jerusalem... If you had grown up under the king, and now all of a sudden there's a new king who knows not your God nor God's ways, and all of a sudden he's taking everything that you know, that you love, that you revere, and he's switching it around. And, and he's taking several. There was actually three different groups that went into captivity, and Daniel was part of the first group. And they, they take them off, and then they go to a re-education camp, if you will. Um, let's see here. Uh Verse three, then the king commanded Asana, king, the, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful and all wisdom and endowed with knowledge and understanding and learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. But they wouldn't be known by those names any longer. Now, verse 7 says, The chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Now now those name changes were significant. You and I, when we, when we, you know, if you've had a child recently or going to have a child, you put a lot of thought into their name. But there was a, a, a really a meaning behind a person's name. The, the, their name was truly their identity, and it was based a lot on the meaning of that word. The names that they did have, Daniel meant God is judge. The name Hananiah meant that the Lord God bestows grace. Mishael means who is what God is. It's kind of an interesting question. And the name Azariah means the Lord helps. Now imagine having been raised with that, having been pointed to this message, this meaning not just of who you were, but basing who you were on, on the truth of who God was. And then all of a sudden your, your whole family, your, your whole city is, is taken captive. And some of them were killed and some of them were taken captive. And they go into this strange land and instantly they're given new names, new thinking, new truth. And their, their names are different. Daniel, Daniel, whose name was changed to Belteshazzar, means protect his life. Hananiah, whose name was changed to Shadrach, means command from the moon god. Meshach means, which, which did his did name under Mishael means, who is what God is, was changed to who is what Aku, which is a foreign god, is. And Abednego simply meant the servant of Nabu, which was another of the gods that they worshipped. King Nebuchadnezzar's name is rooted in Nabu. And so, this can you imagine having not just the place where you lived, and not just the people that you were a part of, but your very identity taken from you? It's hard for us to imagine. But the beautiful thing about it is, That they never forgot who they were and whose they were. This is interesting. Uh, In verse 6, the scripture says, Daniel resolved. Another translation said, He made up his mind that he would not defile himself with king's food, with the wine that he drank, And therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. It's an interesting story, and there's more to it. Daniel changed his diet, and he looked better and all of that. But that word resolved is one that kind of hits home and resonates with a you know, the Sunday before a new year. Is when we think of resolutions, we kind of think about the really surface level stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna do a little better at my job, or I'm gonna start exercising, or start eating right. All very ten, generally, tend to be very superficial, surface level things. I don't know if it's around New Year's, but Daniel's resolution had nothing to do with the things of the surface. Belteshazzar decided, you can call me Daniel all you want, but I know who I am. You can call me Daniel all you want, but I know where I came from. You can call me Daniel all you want, but I know the God I serve. And you can teach me all the laws and and all about your foreign gods, but I know the true God of gods, the true king of kings. Bye, Finley. And Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. And I like to think that his three, three friends chose not to do that either. And we know that they didn't because of what they did. I want to ask you, as we sit on the precipice of 2021, and you think, my goodness, what's going to happen? What's coming next? Who is elected? Who is in power? And just all of these things up in the air. I want you to just take a step back, take a deep breath, and resolve in your own mind who you are and whose you are. Because those two things didn't change. Your culture may change, your country may change, the language may change, the people may change, but you get to resolve who you are. Just like Daniel. God blessed them. After, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom in Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were all in his kingdom. They didn't forget whose they were, and they didn't forget who they were, and therefore God didn't forget them. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It's a very disturbing dream. In fact, the scripture says uh, his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. I don't know if any of you have had any sleepless nights recently about, oh man, the inflation, the job market, the stock market, what's going to happen? New pandemics, how much longer, the masks? Nebuchadnezzar was troubled in the same way. And so he has this dream, and he, he, he summons all of his brilliant men. He says, I had a dream. I want you not just to tell me the meaning of the dream. I actually want you to tell me what the dream was, which, of course, put all these men just in a tizzy because, obviously, that was impossible. Verse 11, the, the thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. I'm sure those Babylonian men had no idea who the God of heaven was. But he's showing himself a time and again to be the God who dwells among men. <clears throat> so, the king is furious and he says, you guys are all phonies. So he makes his command, he's going he's to kill them all. He's going to kill all of the wise men because nobody can tell him what the dream is and nobody can tell him what the meaning of the dream is. And, and so Daniel steps in, Daniel went to his house and Daniel went in, Verse, uh, this is chapter 2. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. He requested a meeting. He asked to meet with King Nebuchadnezzar himself, knowing his probably very life was on the line. And Daniel went to the house, to his house rather, and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Then, verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. To whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God, does this sound like a man who forgot who he was? No. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Lesson number two, they remembered who could. They remembered who could. When no one else could, Daniel, and Daniel himself said that he couldn't. But he knew who could. May we not forget who could. Verse 27, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man." Enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Verse 30, but as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of, of any wisdom that I have more than all of the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king. And that you may know the thoughts of your mind. They remembered who could. In 2020, there were a lot of things that you couldn't. You couldn't go certain places. You couldn't be with certain people. Well, if, if you were a certain type of people, then you couldn't do that. There was a lot of limitations and restrictions and rules about what you couldn't do and And the danger in that is not so much within the the, the rules and the restrictions and the laws and the edicts. The the danger is is not so much the the difference between the the, the, the elite class who can and and the rest of us who can't. There's a a deeper thing in that we begin to place those limitations on our own minds and our own hearts. And we begin to think not only what what we can't do, but that we can't. And if you're in that place... I hope you remember the God who can. I hope you acknowledge your limitations just like Daniel did. I hope you acknowledge that you are human and flesh and frail and and that you don't have the power within yourself. But, but, But through Jesus Christ, you're in a relationship with the God who can. That's where Daniel gave honor and praise. And lesson number three, they honored the blesser and not the blessing. Daniel could have easily taken all the credit for himself. He could have easily told, you know, those fakes and phonies, you better get rid of them because I'm the one who knows the true God of heaven. And they're all charlatans. He could have had them killed. He could have, he could have done any number of things. He, he asked God to spare their lives. He said, listen, I'm no one special. I just know some God who is. As we, as we think about those three lessons. Number one, never forget who you are and whose you are. Number two, remember who could. And number three, give your honor to the blesser and not the blessing. Now, all of that gives you the mindset and the heart These men who would face arguably one of the larger challenges of their lives. Chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and breadth 6 cubits. They set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he sets up this huge image. Now, I skipped over the part of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and you know, it, you, this is stuff of legend too, right? But there's a statue. And there's four parts to it, gold, silver, bronze, and then clay mixed with iron. And these four different metals, these four different substances, represents the coming kingdoms that are going to come in the next 600 years. It's a beautiful, powerful dream. But, but representative of the current kingdom is the gold. Remember we talked about that gold was the gift of royalty? And so Nebuchadnezzar, thinking he's really something special, decides to... Take this vision that he saw and take the the first fourth of it and erect this 90-foot tall statue, this idol, made of gold. Probably plated in gold, but we don't exactly know. And along with the idol came his command for idolatry. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And I just came with the promise of idolatry, the law of the land, but also a promise of punishment. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And so what was the result of that? What do you think? He said a 90-foot tall statue, give you a little bit of perspective, um, from from the base of the ground to the very tip-top of the steeple outside is 62 feet. Now, if you question my measurements there, then come find me and I'll tell you which shepherd gave me that information. But according to my best sources, from the ground to the top of the steeple is 62 feet. Now, our building's pretty good size. You can see it from quite a ways away. You imagine something, time and a half, the height of our building on this plain, this basic flat land, could be seen from everywhere. And at the moment, there was the sound of all of these musical instruments. And I had some that I was going to use that we could play this morning, but I can't seem to find them anywhere. So, think of an a cappella version, if you will. Okay, there's the sound of music, and it goes all throughout the land. And instantly, when they hear the sound, what strikes their hearts is fear. And what do they do? What do they do to me? What do they do to my children? Just just go ahead, just bow, just bow, just just bow. Just bow. Just do what he says. Just do what he says. Just do what he says. Just comply. Just listen. It was fear struck into their hearts. Throughout the entire land. This entire people were ruled in fear. And they bowed. Call it survival instinct, call it self-protection call it, just trying to get in good with the king, they bowed, they bent, they paid homage, they paid reverence to one reverence was not due. All except for these, these three guys, and rumor began to spread As these people who are cowered in fear begin to look around. And when everybody's bowed down, it's easy to see the people who are standing up, isn't it? And they look around and they see three guys. Three guys whose names you know and whose names they knew. And they wouldn't bow at all. And they didn't bend their knee, or their heart to a false god. Why? Because they knew who they were? Because they remembered whose they were. And that gave them great hope and great faith and not fear. Now, what do you think the reaction, the response might be The three men who refuse to bow their knees, to bow their lives, to bow their heads, to bow their hearts to an idol that everyone else had to bow to. Uh, We are in verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 9 of chapter 3. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the... Excuse me if I skip all this. All the musical instruments and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever shall not fall down down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king... They pay no attention to you. They pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So the king's response is obvious. I mean, you've got as you, you do in all the fascist regimes, you've got the people who are telling on the other people, and they bring him before the king, and he's furious, because they know they've disrespected his royalty, his kingship, his rule, his power, his dominion. They don't care. Now, I don't think they're flippant, but I want you to get this picture as they haul these three guys that they called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom the God that they knew called Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 14. Said to answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? And look at verse 15. And you can almost see the smile come across King Nebuchadnezzar's face in your mind's eye as he says this. Now, if you are ready. That he was giving them an out. He was giving them the opportunity to say, you're oh, conscientious objectors. Maybe there's a slight misunderstanding. Maybe there's something that we didn't quite fully... Maybe we weren't quite on the same page. But, but let me just make it clear to you from the king himself about what this edict is all about. Now, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound... To fall down and worship the image I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship. Well you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God. Who is able to deliver you out of my hands. Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Answered to the king. O Nebuchadnezzar. So it's interesting to me that in that moment, they they didn't call him king. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. What do you mean? You didn't read the, the edict from the governors. You didn't read the edict from the safe traps. You didn't, you didn't see that go around. You didn't see the rules and limitations. They told you when these certain music gets play. you didn't read that. Those are the rules that we set down. But no, we, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They didn't even get into deliberations. They stayed completely above it. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve. Don't you love that? They had been in Babylon for three years. They had been given new names. They had been taught about new gods. They had been given new truth. They had been told to serve a new king. But they said no. Now our God whom we serve. He is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now that, for a preacher, ah, that's a perfect sermon. They can't, but God can. There's one king and another king. Your God can't, but my God can. But then, one of the guys, I'm not exactly sure which one, uh, probably Hananiah. His name kind of runs on and on. I I think he was probably the overtalker of the bunch. He goes on. And he adds this. He says, listen, our God, whom we serve, He's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And the other two guys are like, yeah! And he will deliver us from out of the hand, your, oh, your hand, O oh king. And the other two guys, amen. Mighty hallelujah! Keep going, Hananiah! But if not... And the other two guys are like, if not... What? I don't know. You put him in charge? Why let him talk all the time? But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But if not, if not, what are they doing there? Were they hedging their bets a little bit? Were they saying, well, you know, he could, but he might not. I think they're showing us faith in its full beauty and complexity. I trust God. I know God. I believe God. I believe his word. And I know he can. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego never forgot who they were. May we remember who we are and whose we are. God can deliver. He absolutely can. He has. He absolutely has. But where do you stand when God... Doesn't show. Is your faith. An only faith. When you believe. When God shows up. Will you only choose. To believe and trust him. When he does a mighty work. And a mighty miracle. And a powerful display. Of his power. Or will you trust him. Even if he doesn't show. That's faith. That's a faith that understands who we are and whose we are. And it's a faith that reminds us that we serve the living God and they were not going to bow down to any other gods. Turn to Psalm 91. The psalmist writes, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find a refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted in that God. And they knew even if if it was just abiding in the shadow, they still had more refuge in the shadow than they did anywhere else. King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than was usually heated. He ordered that some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their garments. They were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent, the furnace was overheated. The flame of the fire killed those mighty men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, and misael fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. And what do you think? as men twice their size grabbed them and bound them. What do you think as they were hauled off and they could feel the heat? And and, and with each step it got hotter and hotter. You ever light a fire and, and it's going real good and you get just a little too close and it just burns you in that moment? This flame was so hot that it killed the mighty men designed to haul these three guys to it. That's how hot it was. And in that moment, as they're wondering, is God going to show up? What's going to happen here? Do Do you think the song in their minds was, What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. I don't know. I don't know if it was fear or faith in that moment as the room filled with heat, as the flames burned and singed every hair on the bodies of those who are bringing them to a fiery end. But I do believe with all my heart that the moment they were tossed into the flames, they saw God's deliverance. They felt it. Maybe they thought they had been just instantly killed. Maybe they thought, oh, it's just been all over like that. But bound though they were, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were freer than they had ever been. Because they refused to serve anyone but the God of heaven. Story goes on to tell us, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men abounded into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and he said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the fiery furnace. And he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. See, finally... Finally, Nebuchadnezzar knew what they had known all along. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together, all those cowards who had bowed. And they saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire had come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar Answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah never forgot... Who they were, and they never forgot whose they were, and they never forgot who they served. Even when that decision would cost them most everything, they refused to bend and to bow. As we enter a new year with, with things that we know are going to be different, maybe 2020 has taught us that old truth that, that today will have enough trouble of its own. May we trust in the God who holds tomorrow in his hand. May we trust in the God. May we not bow our knee or our hearts to false gods or those who believe they have more power than God. And may we instead trust in him and give honor to him. Not for the blessing, but just to honor the blesser. May we not forget the faith of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The world knew them by a very different name, but I think God never forgot. And he won't forget your name either. You and I, in the eternal sense, are headed toward a fire far greater than King Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. And we are not able to withstand that fire on our own. The fire is due us from our own sin, from our own shortcomings, from our own missing the mark. And there's only one way you can stand in the fire. Is if the Son of God stands with you. If he rescues you. And if God brings you to it, I'm convinced he'll bring you through it. But only with Jesus. And so if you're not with Jesus, know that he wants to be with you. But he's left that decision in your hands. And so this morning, as we on the precipice of a new year, you have the opportunity to make a, a decision, a commitment To decide to put on Christ in baptism. That's what the scripture says. What Jesus says. Believe and be baptized and you will be saved. And you can do that this very Sunday morning. If you would like to do that. If you're not ready for the fire. May I. In the strongest possible words. Encourage you please. Please be ready for the fire. It'll be here more quickly than you know. If you're not ready get ready. And the only way to be ready is with Jesus. If you have that need or any other need, our shepherds will be at the back awaiting your response. We can help you in any way. Please come as we stand in.